The following episode of Let's Connect contains coarse language and content that is not recommended or suitable for children's listening. This week on Let's Connect. Immediately, it's going to flip around and you're going to be looking at yourself. You're not going to be judging me for my shit. You're going to be going like, oh, I did a, I did a gross thing too there, you know? And I think in, in some ways that kind of like, in being very vulnerable, it also keeps me sort of safe because it's so... Yeah, it's, so, it's such like an empathetic exchange. You're like, yeah, me too, me too, me too, me too. Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Let's Connect is a podcast that interviews people from all walks of life who have inspiring stories to share about who they are and who they're becoming. As a life coach and someone who's genuinely curious about connecting with people, spirituality, mindfulness, and what this world is all about, I'm here to ask powerful questions, share my insights as well, and to really connect on a deep level to help us all grow in awareness of who we really are. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Singer-songwriter Haley Jean Penner's memoir takes a brutally honest yet humorous look at the dark, intimate truths we spend our lives running from. Like a map of beautiful mistakes, Haley's stories of questionable sexual encounters, artistic aspirations, and emotional abuse trace her coming of age in the music industry. Haley explores all her relationships, and I mean all her relationships, from her childhood as the daughter of celebrity Fred Penner, to the destructive and coercive relationship with her boss, to an encounter with an actor that we all know but we mustn't name, and brings them all together in a series of sharp, touching vignettes. People You Follow is the name of the book, and it straddles the delicate boundary between ethical and unethical behavior, self-protection and self-destruction, power and weakness, giddiness and despair. And joining me today on the podcast is Haley Jean Penner, and I couldn't be more excited. I've known Haley for a number of years. Um, actually, we go way back to when I was playing music. Uh, I think I must have been around 20 years old playing at... Uh, a church basement every Sunday at Holy Rosary Church, and Haley used to come with her family. That's where we first met, and uh, I have fond memories of, of Haley back then. It's amazing, you know, people you follow. I, I just finished reading Haley's book, and it is an incredible read. I highly recommend you going to check it out. Um, but reading this book, I had no idea the stories and the situations that Haley was living uh, underneath the surface, you could say. So um, today, Haley's going to be on the show, and we're going to be speaking about what the process was like to write such a vulnerable, real book that, um, honestly, I think it's one of the most vulnerable books I've ever read, what that process was like and uh, how she navigated the times of her life. So very excited to share that uh, conversation with you today on the podcast. Just before we get into it, I want to remind you to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Keith M. Mack, where I post videos of the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast itself on iTunes, Spotify, any device that you listen to podcasts on and any platform, uh, I should be there. And uh, also your comments, your questions, your guest ideas. If you have coaching questions as well, um, feel free to leave me a voicemail uh, at the podcast site, keithmcpherson.ca is my website, or you could also send me an email as well, keith at keithmcpherson.ca. I would love to hear from you and hear how this podcast is uh, reaching you and touching your heart. Um, so without further ado, everybody, we're going to jump right in today and meet Haley Jean Penner, author of People You Follow. All right, Haley Jean Penner, thank you so much for being here. And wow, it's just so great to see you after all these years again. I know, it's been like a decade. <laughs> Honestly, it's been, I think it's been more than a decade since I, I saw I, I you. I was trying to think of the last time I saw you and I don't, I don't have access to that memory. I don't know where it is. Yeah, I know. So much has happened to you since I last saw you. And I know that because I've been up uh, in the early hours of the morning reading your book. You've kept me awake past my curfew for like three nights in a row. Amazing, amazing. It's an amazing book, and I'm so excited for people to be uh, to reading it. But I um, just to start, I wanted to, uh, just for people that aren't familiar with you and your story, they're going to find out a lot about you and your story yes. in your book. But just take, yeah. take me back to the, the beginning of um, your story around music. I, I'm curious about what 
inspired you to even start a music career and, and get that all going? <sighs> I mean, how, I, I think, uh, first of all, I started because I grew up in like a very musical household, like with my, my father, it was just sort of surround. I was, it was just what my home life looked like. Like my dad was on tour or we would visit him at, you know, at a show or in the studio. And then even when I wasn't with him, like my mom was a dancer. So we'd be visiting her at her dance studio. So I was very surrounded by the arts forever. But then I really think like my, my own um, exploration with songwriting at, was at like 16. And I really think it had, it was so, it had like no ambition, no big ambitions. I was just like, how do I tell this person I'm in love with them without revealing to them that I'm in love with them? Like, how can I like secretly write a song and sing it to them and like hope they get it, hope they get it enough to then maybe fall in love with me too. Like, I really feel like it was just exclusively a path for me to express my feelings that I didn't know how to just say. And then eventually I did it enough times. It was like, oh, I like doing this, but I, it was not, it was not a strategic move. Wow. <laughs> I could totally relate to this. I yeah. feel like so many singer songwriters get into it just to be seen or to like express yeah. their love, right? Oh, like, completely. Yeah. I wasn't like, I'm going to write a hit today. Not, never. I was just like, how do I tell him? How do I tell him I love him? <laughs> right. How did it transition from that to actually pursuing a career? I mean, I think even that, because I, I moved to Toronto when I was 19. So I moved out of Winnipeg when I was 19 to Toronto. And that was just in some ways to follow a guy. Like there's a, a guy who had just moved there that I loved. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to move to Toronto too. So then I moved to Toronto and I wasn't really doing music at that point. Um, and then I went to journalism school there and was like doing sort of like commercials and things, but I wasn't really like pursuing a musical career. And then... Yeah, and then I met this this uh, manager in in Toronto, and I had just been like starting to kind of co-write, but really just with a couple people, and and uh, so I had a, a couple songs like on hand, and he, oh yeah, and then he was like, uh, uh, come to L.A., come to, I'll I'll bring you to L.A. My brother's a big songwriter. If he likes you, you know, you can you can stay. We'll sign you, and it'll be great. So I feel like in some ways I just sort of fell into it where I got here and I was like, yeah, I could, I could do this. This could be a, a thing I do. And then it was just like a six year boot camp. Yeah. That really, it was like an education in a lot of things. Yeah. There's like multi layers to your journey uh, into the music industry and then wow. moving to LA seems like it was, that's a great word for it. Boot camp, life oh, lesson boot camp. Oh yeah, it was a boot camp because all my other like I sort of dabbled with it through the years, and even working with you with the Four Corners, right? Your old uh, band, yeah, <laughs> or my acapella old group, acapella group, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it was like I dabbled, I dabbled, and then I and then I just fell off the cliff into it. Wow. So I want to get into some of that right now. So the book, I mean, it puts it all out there. This is probably one of the most vulnerable books, to be honest, that I've ever read. I haven't read wow. Fifty Shades of Grey. Neither have I. <laughs> really? All right. That makes two of us. And I don't suspect this is like that. But I mean, yeah. I, I've heard people reference Fifty Shades of Grey as being very graphic and very just to the point. But your book just puts it out there like so honestly and vulnerably. Like you're writing about things that I, I couldn't even believe you put on paper. I was like, Haley, wow. Like how, how much courage does this woman actually have? Like what made you write this book in the first place? I mean, what made me write this book is I uh, I had like a sort of tough night with a friend of mine, like a really close friend of mine who I'd always had feelings for. And then we, we had like a, you know, a night, one night, and it did not pan out the way I wanted it to, or I think even he wanted it to. And then I was just so heartbroken on the back of it. And we like wrote music together a lot. And I just, I was like, I do not feel like writing a song about this. I don't want to sit down and like, pluck my acoustic guitar and sing sweetly about this situation. I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm like all these things that I don't know how to put into music. Like I don't know how to be mad in music mm -hmm. and I don't know how to be, I don't know how to be like, br I, I mean, it, my songs are very honest, but I think there's something about my, even just about the tone of my voice, like my singing voice that makes everything sort of sweet. Yeah. Like I have a sort of sweet, voice and even my playing like I lean towards a sort of 
sweetness for my for my own music and I was just I just didn't want to do that I was like I don't feel like writing a sweet heartbroken compassionate love song I just want to say what happened like I don't I don't even want to tell you how to feel about it I just need to write out these things you know in the hopes kind of of not continuing to do the same things for the next 20 years you know I was like what you know and then in writing them out over and over again I just realized how deep these patterns are like it, it was really it really felt like I sort of hired myself as my own kind of analyst and my whole wall in my kitchen was just like dots and pictures and and things just trying to like crack the code of my own relationship life wow you know that was something I was curious about because I'm reading through your book and it feels like you're going through therapy as you're writing it and like were you working with a therapist or were you just your own I, therapist I I was, I was definitely working with a therapist at that, at that point, or I think we either started right after or right before. And then I was definitely also my own therapist and just trying to work out, work out my stuff in a way that would, yeah, hopefully change some patterns. In my head, as I was reading, I'm like, I wonder if the therapist had given Haley, this as an assignment or something. Uh, no, I know. Was no, there she, any of that? No, not at all. But she, I, I recently like four days ago, I sent her a copy of it, of the book, because I thank her in the back too. And, and uh, I wrote her a little card that was like, I don't know, am I allowed to send you this? I wasn't sure if I was like, I was like, you already know, but here you go. Here's the book. Wow. That's another thing I'm curious about. I mean, this book really, like you do not leave anything off the table as far as I'm concerned reading no. this. Um, no. How, what, like so far, just in the advanced copies you've put out, like what's been the reaction from like your family, your friends. I mean, you, you really put it all out there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I've had, I, I feel like all the responses are going to really like just surprise and amaze me. First of all, my parents are not allowed to read it. They've both been told they're not allowed. They haven't it's, read this. No, no, And they're never, they're not allowed to. My parents aren't allowed. Haley, that's intense. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they both have a copy. So I, if they manage to not read it, I, that will be amazing. And also if they do, I will understand if they just need to. But no, I told them both explicitly, this is not a book for you. What was your why on that? Because I, I was like, I've just tried to imagine myself as, you know, a father reading my daughter. Like, it's just not for you. It's just not a book for you. It's a book for everybody else. You just keep seeing me the way you see me. That would be preferable. Wow. <laughs> Are your parents aware that you wrote about them in the book? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They are, and they know that, like the graphic detail of how, what you get into. Yes, I think so. I, I think that's why they're both like, "No problem, we won't read it." <laughs> wow, unbelievable! You have my so siblings, much courage. Yeah, my siblings are all reading it. My siblings are all reading it, and and what's been uh, the reaction? Yeah, it's it's the really interesting thing is I, I had a conversation with a, a good friend of mine the other day, and and um. And it's funny because we sort of weren't good friends before she read the book and then she read it and she reached out and she was like, I feel so connected to you. And it was just this beautiful sort of connective tissue. And then I, we were on, on FaceTime and she brought out like a journal of all, she had started writing out all her patterns. And I was like, oh, that, it excited me so much that something, because I feel like that's, those are the books that I love the most when I read something and I'm like, and it just is, becomes a mirror and I think that's also why there's like a freedom in writing so honestly about my own life, because I think, and it's the same with songwriting, where if I write really honestly about my life, you're only going to see your life. Mm. Like you're gonna, immediately, it's going to flip around and you're going to be looking at yourself. You're not going to be judging me for my shit. Absolutely. You're going to be like, oh, I did, a, I did a gross thing too there, you know? Yeah. And I think in, in some ways that kind of like in being very vulnerable, it also keeps me sort of safe because it's so... Yeah, it's so, it's such like an empathetic exchange. You're like, yeah, me too, me too, me too, me too. Yeah, well, it does bring up a lot of questions around when you say me too, the me too movement. I mean, as yeah. I was reading through it, I was just getting perspectives about like, wow, how women treat or how men treat women, uh, the dynamics of relationships, the way the world is right now. It brought up like so many questions in my mind about where are we going in, a, in our world? You know, it was just, yeah. Did you know yeah. you were writing in that context as you were writing this? I mean, not really. And, and mostly because like I started writing this, I guess, like three years ago. So it was kind of right, right before Me Too sort of started. And there is something sort of funny, I think, may, that I, I imagine I'm not alone in feeling that 
I, I started writing the book and then the Me Too movement sort of hit. Mm-hmm. And and I there was like a moment of feeling like, oh fuck, I missed it. Like I, I, I missed my chance to be a part of this movement because I didn't write early enough. You know, like, like my issue won't matter in three years. You know what I mean? Like wow. this is the moment. And so, so funny, that sort of pressure you put on yourself. But, but I'm actually, um, yeah, my relationship to, I, I've thought a lot about, about the movement because obviously it's like a necess- necessary adjustments in societal norms, like really damaging obviously. Um, and I think I really wanted to, with that sort of lens, look at not why, why just for myself, like, why is the guy doing the awful thing? But like, why am I staying in this room? Because of course there's a bunch of layers to it and the power dynamics and all these things. But when I started looking at like the number of times I've done it, I was like, I can't, I can't exclusively blame you i just can't Mm -hmm. i have to i have to in the hopes even if even if you're fully to blame like i can't it's not about blame it's about trying to trying to for myself trying to learn what i did and why i did it so that i can hopefully put myself you know make changes in my own life so wow so at this point after like putting out this book have you i'm curious if you've read it back and i have I have. I got. I, I got a copy of it, or I, I got like my my sort of early, you know, twenty copies of it, and I read it right away. And I felt very, um, yeah. There's just nothing I wanted to change. I felt really like it was so. It's so honest, and I feel so. Um, I feel really grateful that I was able to be that honest, and I think that's the only thing I would have. I would have regret not being that honest but not being that honest you know right, what i mean right. there were moments where i where i thought i was lying or where i wasn't being totally truthful then i think that could have kept me up at night but how yeah. did how did you get yourself into the state of writing that honest and vulnerable i mean it, i've i don't think i've ever read anything that honest and vulnerable how did you get there i you know it was it was sort of an accident like my writing process but i'm I, now I like swear by it, which is I, I would write, I would write and, uh, you know, one of these stories. And then immediately, even if it was in an early draft, I would record it just on my iPhone and then take it for a walk and just like go for a walk and listen to myself reading my own story to me. Wow. Because it was the only way I could make sure I wasn't lying to myself because writing, you can sort of like, you know, massage something in a way that kind of serves it up to you in a way that you can look at and read and believe. Mm. But there was something about the honesty of speaking that when I heard it in just in my headphones alone, walking, you know, through Winnipeg or LA or where, wherever I was like, you don't mean that. Mm. You don't mean that. You don't mean that go, you have to change that. So I'd be like editing while walking and like talking to my past self and my future self and, you know, my airpods wow so who have you discovered yourself to be in this process like who are you what a question keith what a question um who am i i mean i'm a very i'm like a i'm like everybody i'm like everybody else i'm like a flawed confused not i mean not flawed because flaws aren't a real thing but um i'm just like a person trying to figure my figure my stuff out and trying to mostly change my mostly change my patterns in the hopes of learning something new. You know, like if I keep, if I keep going down the same sort of path, it'll be just as like exciting and tasty and, and, and like fun and dark and, and, you know, satisfying in a, in a toxic way, but I won't learn anything. I won't learn anything new. And Mm. I really would like to continue learning new things so that's the goal, really. And I want to be surprised. Like, what have you discovered about yourself in the process of writing this book? What have I discovered? I mean, I've discovered a lot of things. I've discovered a lot of things surrounding, you know, growing up with a with a famous dad. Mm. Just like, especially because I tend to I tend to fall for men who are very very present and then far away, and very very present and, and far away. I noticed this, that pattern as I was yeah. reading your book. Yeah. What is it? Um. 
Yeah, but I and I sort of feel like I hadn't really thought it through because I have such an incredible father. Like he's so loving and kind and and always was. Like I have no complaints about the father that I got. And we but, should just name it too for people that don't know it. Yeah, Fred Penner. Fred Penner, the children's entertainer, Canadian icon. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Parenting icon. Um but it's funny because I thought I've been thinking back on like because that was a big question, like, where did this start? I have a great dad. Yeah. Like, where did this start? I have a great father. But then I really thought of, you know, like, he started touring heavily when I was when I was a kid. And for a kid, you don't really understand what's happening. So all you know is, like, dad's here, dad's here, dad loves me, this is the best. And then the next day, dad's just gone for, oh. you know, for three weeks. And you might not, you know, then there's this moment of, like, did I, did I do something like, did I do something wrong? Like, is there something that I did that I didn't pick up on hmm. that I don't realize I did? And then he comes back and you're so happy to see him. You don't want to waste time being like, I was really hurt for the last three weeks. So you're just like, yay, let's go to the park and have a good time. And then you have a good time. And then he leaves again. And you're like, I did it again. Like I did it again. I did it again. What did I do? What did I do? So it creates this sort of like pattern of being comfortable with somebody being really present and then being really far away. Wow. And it starts to feel like home. So I think that's why, I, you know, I've found all these partners who are like super in and available and then super far because that feels totally fine to me. Wow. It feels like home and comfortable and right to me. Yeah. What a discovery as you're noticing this yeah. pattern. So that's something you've discovered is through. Oh, yeah. That, that, was a, that was a major discovery for sure. And like now that you know that, I mean, I'm just curious, like what's your current dating situation like? <sighs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, I've dated dating <laughs> uh -huh. it's, it's funny because i'm trying to i'm trying to do the opposite of what um of what my instincts are i'm trying to like when i have an instinct i'm trying to go like shush shush instinct you know like i i <laughs> like i was seeing somebody or am seeing somebody who uh want like i know will want to do nice things for me and that makes me incredibly nervous. Like, cause especially now going into fall, there's like going to be a bunch of, you know, it's like the book and the album and then my birthday and then, and then like Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And it fills me with anxiety because I'm like, he's going to want to do all these nice things for me. Can I handle these nice things? Like hmm. that's the thought of somebody being like consistently present in there terrifies me. So I'm trying to just, hmm. I'm trying to like fight my, my commitment phobia apparently mm -hmm. and also yeah what i'm just curious like what terrifies you about being loved yeah, by somebody it doesn't it doesn't make sense keith i don't have the answer to that i think it's i don't know i think i'm not i'm just very out of practice hmm. like really my last like committed relationship committed like we are a couple relationship was like 10 years ago wow but this is what happens in la la is a cesspool I mean, I love LA, but it's very easy to just sort of like stay in these like committed but non-committed kind of things. And then you like meet somebody else and you just like, it just sort of is a city like that. It's a very odd city for love. And I don't think I'm, I'm alone in, in feeling that way. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's like, you really, you have to sort of challenge the idea that like that, is right or good or something or satisfying or like fully satisfying. Mm, yeah. Well, I really sense like <laughs> that's got to be a challenge to be navigating through. I mean, it's, yes. you talk a lot in your book too about just towards the end. And I was so hoping that you were going to have like an epiphany moment because of all yeah. of the, the challenging situations you'd been in with relationships, but you really talk about self-love. Yeah. I, Cause I had, there was, there were alternate versions of the end uh -huh. and there were a couple that were like epiphany, sort of epiphany versions. Uh -huh. And then I was like, that's not true though. Like I, I, just because I've noticed all, all of my patterns, like doesn't just automatically give me a ticket, a ticket out of them. Mm -hmm. Like that will be a continued practice of going like, okay, you see the thing you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Do you have the tools to like veer in a different direction or, or don't you, hmm. you know? So, so I didn't want it to be like a bow on the end. I wanted it to be like, okay, yeah. still working on it. <laughs> Which I think is one of the most endearing things about you that I, I, like, it's just so real. It's so, you're being so honest and truthful with yourself, which I think is incredible. Thank um, you. When you like 
think of the practice of self-love. Mm-hmm. Like what, what does that look like for you these days? I mean, it's, it's I, I feel like that's also a thing that I've had. I've, I've, in the same way that I'm like, I have a great, I have a great dad. What's the deal? Because I, I feel like I have a very healthy relationship to self-love. Like I've, you know, exercised every two days since I was 18. I know you, you like take jogs like you're in a movie every single, I, I, like, <laughs> I love I it. <laughs> we went for a long run one time. I remember that was like the, the first long run I've ever done. Really? I remember. Yeah. I remember that. I, yeah. I like, yeah. We ran like through this neighborhood. It's so funny. I was laughing just on a side note because when I was reading the book, you'd reference, you said, every time I go on a run, I feel like I'm being filmed in a movie. And I, I remember you saying that back in the day too. I was like, right on Haley. <laughs> You've made it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, yeah. So I feel like, you know, I, I, I like sleep is very important to me. I cook a lot. I bake a lot. I'm very close with my family. You know, I make it a point to even when I'm in L.A., I talk to my like the first thing I do every morning in L.A. is call Danica mm. and we like FaceTime first thing in the morning. So I'm very good at that. Those sort of like really, really like typical self-care practices like eating well, sleeping, exercising, family, love, alone time. Like mm-hmm. I'm really good at those things and I really love those things and value those things. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of relationships, I'm curious, because you speak a lot in the book about just brokenheartedness and how guys have just totally taken advantage of you and how you've made wrong decisions. It goes on and on. It's like, oh, my goodness. Um, I'm just like so curious in that in that regard. Um, if you were to go back and talk to the earlier version of yourself at this point, like if you were to drop back into any of those scenes, what would you tell her? I mean, the truth is I wouldn't. I really wouldn't tell her anything. I I would, I would be like, you have to go through this. And I, and I even like, I look back on my, on my, um, Winnipeg self as, as like an 18, as an 18 year old. And I just really felt like I had it all figured out. (laughs) I was like, I've never had to struggle. I'm comfy. I have a great family. I sort of, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't have, I make friends easily. Life's fine life's good. Like it's okay. So I'm so, I'm deeply grateful to LA for just kicking the out of me. Yeah. Really? Because it just, it just leveled me in this way that now I feel like, you know, like when I was living in Toronto, I remember I was house sitting for a friend and she came home sort of distraught one day. And she said, she said, I just found out my boyfriend cheated on me. And 22-year-old Haley was like, that's it. It's over forever. You're out. You're never talking to him again, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even kind of feel like that anymore. How, would you, even, how do you feel now? <laughs> now I feel like, okay, so let's have a conversation about this. Why did it happen? You know, like, who was it with? Uh, what's the deeper issue here? Was he? Ju- was it just like a random thing? Does it even matter? Like, is it okay that... That's, I don't know, like, because I sort of think those betrayals, like, aren't at all about sex. They're about, they're just about the betrayal. They're about lying. They're about feeling like somebody has been, yeah, lying to your face and going to sleep beside you. Like, that's the thing, especially, I think, for women that will, that will kill us. Mm. Is we feel like somebody's just been lying to your face. It's not about, it's not about the sex. I really don't think it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now I just don't feel like, I, I think, I think more than my feeling about it changing. It's that I have no judgment for that situation anymore. I have zero judgment for the cheater or the person who's getting cheated on. Like it's not, it's not a sign of a bad person. It's just, it's just like a thing that happens for whatever number of reasons. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that my, my sort of pain and struggle has turned into just a complete, a complete lack of judgment. I just said, you could tell me you did anything at all and I would just have no judgment. And it, it doesn't mean wow. necessarily that I'd be able to be like a close friend of yours. If you were like, I murdered a person, right. you know, maybe wouldn't be tight, but I would want to <laughs> under, I would want to hear you. I'd want to like understand yeah. like that movie dead man walking where she's like interviewing this. Like, I'm so curious about why people do bad things that aren't bad, you know, bad yeah. things, but why people go to dark places. So, so why no judgment now? I think because I've, I've 
now been in positions that I never, ever, ever would have seen myself in. And, and especially as like the other woman for several years, I never would have seen myself as like this stereotypical picture of, of what an affair looks like. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I, but that's the thing. It's like, these are all stereotypes of like, what does that woman look like or, or seem like, or, or whatever. But I, I never related to that. I, I felt like I had very like clear uh, morals and whatever. So to have been in this situation where I've now done so much that I never thought I was capable of being a part of, mm-hmm. it really changes your perspective on like, okay, well, I think, I think I'm a good person. I know I'm a good person. I, you know, I, I care about the people I love. I care about people I don't love, you know, like I'm kind to servers. Like I'm a good, I'm a good person, mm-hmm. but I've also done all these things that I'm not totally proud of, but I'm grateful for. So yeah, it just sort of levels judgment. Do you have any regrets? No, no, zero. Wow. None. I mean, I have one regret, which was I had a, got a very, very, very bad haircut like four years ago. And it devastated me. Like a whole year, <laughs> whole year I couldn't look in the mirror. I was devastated. Wow. Like, those, those are the type of regrets I have. Like we went on a trip once and I forgot to bring like a certain type of chips. That is upsetting. I'm like, why? I could have <laughs> Why didn't I bring that type of chip? Like I don't right. have big regrets because it feels like it feels a little bit like um whatever you know like the butterfly effect you go back and you kill a butterfly and your whole life is different yeah and I really really believe that like i can't i can't be happy in this moment while going back in time and changing anything at all because it's all really influenced where i am now yeah it's like actually perfectly on time in the most bizarre way isn't it yeah in the most bizarre way yeah wow when you were reading back the book i just Currently, um, if you were to think of one of your favorite moments in the book, just to, to, to share that with the listeners and, and people watching. I have, I, have um, I mean, I have a couple of favorite, favorite moments. One of them is one of the first stories I wrote, which is it's uh, called the, the Standard Hotel Room 911. And it's like at the end of the, I'm in, with this guy named Daniel and, and, and the line is like, uh, he stood naked in a fancy hotel room in the middle of the night on a one night stand and ate an entire box of Oreos. Oh yeah. I remember that. (laughs) It was such a funny moment because we were literally on a one night stand. He was like a famous, like just approaching real like fame. And I'm in his, in this like fancy hotel in LA, like downtown. And I was like, what is he, what is he doing? And I sort of opened my eyes and he's naked and he's like stumbling against the walls. And then I just hear like, like <laughs> what is happening i sort of saw like just saw him like nibbling like at a campsite it was so funny and then in the morning he, he yeah he asked me he was like did you hear me did you hear me have my snack last night i was like yeah i heard you have your snack what was it about that moment for you that like you love or you appreciate it was the just, most? it was so it was so um it was like a need he had that he just addressed like regardless of who is nearby. He was just like, this is a thing I want and need. I'm going to go get the thing I want. And <laughs> wow. And I just think it's so funny. And also I think so many parts of that book are me not doing that. Are me going like, here's a thing I want and need. Don't do that. Don't do that thing you want and need. Don't do that. Don't re-. like, so to see somebody just go like, I want a box of Oreos right now. I don't care. It's the middle of the night. I don't care that I have a stranger in my bed in a fancy hotel room and I might not see her ever again. I want to go eat a snack. Like wow. I respect that. Wow, that's hilarious. I'm curious about that, just this um, up-and-coming celebrity that you were dating, and he's nameless. You you can't name him. and I can't. I won't. But I'm just curious, like because you met him on what you call the celebrity dating app. So funny. I really can say what it is. I'm you not can't say it. what it is, but I'm just... Oh, I'll say what it is. It's called Raya. It's like not... It's really... I don't even think it's like a a celebrity dating app anymore but it's kind of what it is like can you explain this i I was just like so curious when you can go on there and date celebrities yeah kind of it's like (laughs) i feel like it's mostly male celebrities and women and just women just females um wow it's very yeah it's a strange place you just swipe like you know like john mayer's on there just like people people are on there no kidding yeah you just you just like them and then maybe they like you too and then you have a chat (laughs) <laughs> what's your take i mean in the book you talk about um i can't remember how old you were but you were writing on a piece of paper 
two things that you wanted the most out of life, fame and uh, was it dating Paul or being with? Yeah, dating or, Paul, Paul's love. <laughs> yeah. And then you threw it out the window and it magically comes back to you, which you, yeah. people can find out in the book. Um, you were like really driven to be famous at an early age. What was that I, all about? I don't, I mean, it's funny because I have, I've, I've found, because we moved out of my childhood home sort of, I mean, a, a, several years ago. 303. I remember it well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in doing that, obviously you end up going through like boxes and boxes of childhood stuff. And I found so many journals that I just thought were so funny where I wrote like, there was one where I wrote a, um, I wrote a book, like I wrote a, a autobiography at like 11 and it was an assignment for school, but it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like five pages long. And I wrote this like 30 page story about my life that's like I married Leonardo DiCaprio in it um we both won uh we both won Academy Awards the same year adorable um and then both of our families died together on the same flight that we weren't on dark so it was like a whole it was a whole thing but anyway that was sort of besides the point that wasn't what I was getting at what I was getting at was I found all these journal entries that kept saying like everybody thinks I should be a singer but I'm not a singer. I'm an actress. I know that I'm an actress and I need to be an actress. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was just like, I was sort of obsessed with actors forever. Wow. Like I just, I love acting. I love watching actors. I think I also don't think I'm alone in like musicians wanting to be actors and actors wanting to be music musicians. Sure. Like I've never really acted, but I believe that I am an actor. Oh, Haley, I think you'd be, an, you're an, <laughs> you're, you are an incredible actress and I can Thanks. see it. But but actually, like to be famous, like just the the yeah. yearning to be famous from a young yeah. age. Well, I'm curious, in your perspective, what is that about? I mean, I think, uh, of course, a part of it, it comes from being raised with a person who is famous. Yeah, I think also that desire has definitely faded. I think I, it was more important to me as a kid. It was more important to me as a young person because I think I equated uh, fame with success. And now I just don't at all. Like now there's so many people who I really see as successful, like myself included, who I am not famous, you know, but it's like what I value in a career has really changed. But I think as a kid, you don't really, you can't really see like the nuance of, of like, yeah, people's, people's careers or creativity or like, okay, maybe that person isn't the most well-known person in the world, but they own a home and mm. have a beautiful life and a family and, and like are making their life off the thing they love, like that's success. That's huge success. Yeah. So it just sort of changed. It, it kind of morphed. Got it. Morphed. So I know some people are going to be curious and they'll email me if I don't ask you about just some stories growing right. up as a dad that's Fred Penner. And yeah. people listening in the US, Fred Penner is a Canadian children's entertainer, very well known. All of us grew up watching him on TV. Yeah. I'd love for you to, sh I mean, you share a few stories in the book that are hilarious about growing up with him, but just, just to recount it a little bit, what was it like to be uh, the daughter of Fred Penner? I mean, it was, it was, I feel very, I think I got the best, uh, like my brother got really bullied. Damien got quite bullied for a while about it. Um, and I think my sisters too sort of, sort of struggled with it from time to time. And for whatever reason, I, I just, I didn't really, like, I didn't really get bullied about it or that my bullying was really short lived. So for the most part, my relationship to it was just this, like, in hindsight, kind of damaging, like early thing where, where I really felt really special, mm. where I felt like, you know, I, I can make friends who I've never met before and they come over and they're like in awe of my of like my dad. Mm. So there is a kind of thing that happens where you're like, Oh, I got, I have like an ACE. Like I don't have to be, it doesn't have to all sit on my shoulders. I can just be like, look, look at him, look at him. Like if I don't have anything to say, I can just check, yeah. check it out. Fred Penner. You know? Yeah. You know, so it's, and that's another reason why I'm, I'm really grateful to LA is like going to a place where like, nobody cares. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's like, you're there, you have to pave your own way. And, I think in a way that sort of subconsciously I was, I was looking for that. I was looking for like, okay, I have to, I have to make my own, my own world. And it is so interesting that like in creating my own world, you know, you return home to, 
to branch out or you branch out by returning home. Yeah. Um, but love, yeah, it was <laughs> just on a yeah. side note. I love how you accidentally have arrived back in Winnipeg over the last few months. It's bananas. It is bananas to me. It's also crazy because I started writing this book in Winnipeg. I was on a flight to Winnipeg and everything, it all started here. Like the first stories were written here, walking past this place, like listening to it. So to be here now by accident, totally by accident, like I was here for a trip top of March, pandemic hit. I was like, I'm not going back right now. Why would I go back right now? I'm going to stay here. And now it's been what, six, six months, six months. And I'm here and I'm so grateful because it's just the most, especially even though my parents aren't allowed to read it in, in, in releasing something so vulnerable and honest, I'm so grateful to be in like the safest possible place in the world. I'm in my dad's home where I'm living on my own because he's in, in, in BC. My siblings are all 10 minutes away in either direction. My mom's down the street. You know, she like brings over cooked meals sometimes. I'm just like taken care of here, which mm. is really nice in, in, in preparing to like de-skin myself and be like, what do you guys think? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the book is about to come out as we're doing this conversation, and I, I can only imagine what uh, kind yeah. of acclaim is going to come in the next Thank few months for you. Thank you. For people that are reading this book, um, what is your hope for the, like, the reader? I mean, yeah, really my hope is, is that, it, that it does sort of, sort of shine a mirror on yourself and that it makes you kind of reflect on your own sexual history and family history and and it makes you like more curious about yourself mm -hmm. that it makes you want to like put in the time and like string up all of your exes on on a whiteboard in your kitchen and be like wow why did i do that like really why did i do that like why did i make that decision at that time because i just think uh, above all else i think i'm like driven by curiosity which is also why i get into kind of dis functional situations sometimes because I'm so curious about stuff and people and places and things. So that's my hope. My hope is that people are like, Ooh, I want to investigate myself. Wow. And in terms of what you're like dreaming about is next, uh, what, what are you, what are you yearning for? What are you wishing for next? Oh man. Well, lots of things. I'm, I'm constantly writing music. You know, I'm, I'm working with a bunch of people that I think are incredible, like incredible young artists. I want to write another book, not for myself. I'm sort of, I am working on another book, not for myself. I won't tell you who it's for, but I'm writing a, like it's somebody else's. You're a ghostwriter. I'm a, I'm a ghostwriter. Yeah. In I don't the know sky. how much I'm a ghostwriter in the sky. Perfect. Wow. That was your dad's song. <laughs> Big hit. <laughs> wow. 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 I have to tell my dad that. Yeah. So I'm working on a book. Um, yeah. Sort of like memoir for somebody else with somebody else, um, which is like, just also happened to really rev up when I got to Winnipeg. So now like we talk every, you know, day or so and we FaceTime for a few hours and then I write and then we write together and it's like the best, it's the best thing ever because I'm so hooked on writing like this now, but also I have no interest in writing another thing about me for like a minute. Mm. So it's perfect. It's just perfect. I, I couldn't be happier. It really, it really worked out. That's amazing. Okay. There's a yeah. few more questions coming in here that I have to ask you. Your yeah. writing style, you referenced early on bone by bone, which is an incredible, or you know, bird by bird. Right. I'm thinking of writing down the bones by Natalie yeah, Goldberg. Yeah. Bones with the birds and the birds. And then there's birds by bird, bird by bird. Yeah. It's this yeah. incredible how to write book. You reference oh. it in like the first few sentences of your yeah. book. And yeah. you continue through the whole book to seem to write in that kind of prose, like the Natalie Goldberg kind of style. Um, yeah, she, uh, not not Natalie, but um, Anne Lamont. Yes. Uh, that book just like, it just, I just think it's, I haven't read that many books about writing, but that book just, I think I read it on a morning where I wanted to, I wanted to like sit down and, and put in the time, but it wasn't coming super easily to me that morning. And usually for this process because it was a total experiment and I wasn't at any sort of time frame at all. Mm -hmm. If I didn't feel like writing, I just didn't, or I would just like go for a walk or try to creatively stimulate myself some other way. So that morning I just didn't feel like writing and I was like, I'm just going to read this. And I read, you know, three chapters and was like, Oh, this. And then, then I just sat down and started writing and kind of never stopped writing. Cause she's just, she's so good. It's the best writing book. 
it's so generous and oh, it's so good. Wow. Everybody read that, that book. The, Anybody who has any interest in writing should read that. Yeah. And, and your writing style too is the same way. I feel like the detail that you get into and the way that you describe, like just the memory, like how did you remember all the specific details of, of things as you were writing this? It's incredible. It's, it's, I don't know. It just, I have, I, I feel like I have a very good memory in general, but more than that, I feel like because I was picking these moments that were incredibly uh, influential mm -hmm. um, and significant in my life, like I'm sure you could in detail go back to some memory of like the first time you got bullied or like pushed or kissed or, you know, they're really heightened memories. So to sit down and like close your eyes and really put yourself in that space and start saying it out loud, like, oh yeah, those stairs were blue or those stairs were da -da -da, and like, you know, you sort of, it just kind of comes back together. And I think there's also a part of that too, where I, I didn't let myself get hung up on like, wait, was that staircase blue? Wait, no, 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 it was green. I was like, no, it was blue. It was, who cares? Like nobody's going to fact check whether my, my, you know, my home staircase on Waverly was blue or green or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like that's not the point. Yeah. The point is like be in that space and try to inhabit it as much as possible in, in the hopes of really feeling like I'm back there and maybe reminding me of certain things. And also in the hopes of reminding you of personal spaces in your life that you've left. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any ambition of this book becoming a movie? Uh, this book, not Hush Hush because we're on a podcast, but we're in the process of making it, of, of turning it into a series, not a, into a movie. Oh, incredible. I'm so excited yeah. to watch this. Will you actually be acting in it or is it you? Well, I really want to be in it, but I don't want to play me. Wow. I want to play, I want to either play like an executive, like an executive, or there was a, there was a time where I thought maybe I wanted to be, um, like my therapist, but I think I'm, I'm much too young. Like I want my therapist to be like 60 something, like a wise sort of elder. Um, so, but I, I definitely want to be in it, but I don't want to play myself. Wow. I love this. This is like fulfilling your dream of being an actress, a producer, a writer. <laughs> we barely talked about music. I just want to speak a little bit about this as well, just because it's important. You yes. just are releasing, uh, if I understand, a full-length album? Yeah. So the full wow. album comes Prolific. on the Thanks. Um, it's funny because the album was sort of written before the book, but it's about the same, like they're about the same things. So the album comes out on the 18th. The uh, book comes out in Canada on the 19th. And then we have Apple is doing like an exclusive ebook that connects the two. So like you'll be reading the ebook and then it'll link to the song that's about that chapter. Wow. Because they're so intertwined. Like a bunch of times in the book too, I reference songs that then will be like, you'll be able to listen to the song I'm talking about in the book. Yeah. It's a very, uh, yeah. Well, as we're talking, it's September 2020 right now. So people listening yeah. in the future. But yes. um, I noticed that you just put out this week a, a video for people you follow, your your single, your song, but yeah. also the title of the book. And it's, I believe your sister is doing this beautiful piece. And I started watching that right after I finished reading your book. Like the timing oh, really? was impeccable. And I'm wow. I'm watching the uh, the video and I'm like tearing up and I've got chills and I'm like, to, wow. to bring the music to life in the book. And I can only imagine a TV series like, Haley, this is so creative. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It's, it's amazing too with the, with the video. I'm, I'm particularly happy in, in this last like chapter of getting everything organized. It's become such a family affair. Like my brother shot that video, Kendra's dancing. And then also the cover of the book itself. Kendra took that photograph in this room I'm in and Danica designed the cover. Wow. So it's just my whole family is so it like it's so intertwined in the release of this book in the way in a way that makes it feel like not even only mine because Dan like Danica's a graphic designer but also a stay-at-home mom and runs a daycare and she does all these things so for her to be able to like express herself creatively through through this and then for my brother he's also a parent and and works full time and like is a, t a teacher and and works with kids with special needs and for him to be able to also like express creativity through this. And then Kendra, who's a photographer, just felt like I'm so grateful to have been able to like give or, or to make some sort of thing that all of us can jump in on and be creative, be creative with. And it's just, it, 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 I feel, I feel like it just made it so much, so much better, just like the product itself yeah. in having all these hands of people I love 
being like, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know? People You Follow is the name of the book and and the single right now. Um, can you share a little bit about the perspective? Why, why did you call the book that? What does it mean? There's, I sense there's a number of different ways you can interpret it. Yeah. There, are, there are a few different ways. The, the sort of, um, there's like the, the obvious kind of social media one where it's like you, you know, it's like literally the, the category is like people you follow right. and the people you choose to look at. And, and, and then also just like, that's kind of how I see life in general. It's that like life is just a series of people you follow to places and then the places you end up stuff happens and then that's your life kind of. Mm-hmm. So it's, and especially in this book where I feel like a lot of it is me just going like, Oh, you sure. Like you sure, you know, just me like literally being letting myself and following these people kind of all over the world. Like that's why I moved to Toronto. That's why I moved to LA. Like that's why that's sort of what guided a lot of these, a lot of these like big life shifts. Hmm. So yeah, that was, that was really the, the driving force behind that title. Wow. It's amazing to like just know you on one level and then to know all this other stuff that's happened that I was never aware of, you know, and it, it got me thinking about social media and how, you know, we see certain people posting things online, but then we don't really know the extent of what's going on under the surface. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I even look back on some pictures from the time that I'm writing about, like the first five years when I was in LA and I look like to me, I look like something's going on but I can also see reading that as like oh and I remember even coming back to Winnipeg when I first moved to LA because I think there's this sort of thing where it's like just by moving to LA you've sort of made it yes and it's just I know. It all you can move <laughs> so I come back, people would be like good for you for moving to LA I'm like you too can move to LA and live in a basement like it's not that hard right come on over yeah you know? come on down it's really glamorous here <laughs> really glamorous. I live in a basement apartment <laughs> it's gross um yeah so I think looking back on those pictures, I'm like, wow, I was not. And I think that's also why it's hard for my siblings, like particularly my sisters, because I think a lot of that time I didn't talk to them about, I wasn't really, I wasn't going like, this is happening. This is happening because I think there's also the way you kind of stay in those situations is by not talking about them is by not going like this just happened. It doesn't feel right. Like it kind of takes, at least for me, it took years of those like, Hey, that doesn't feel right things to happen in order for me to go like, so this has been happening for five years and I think maybe I, it needs to stop. Mm. You know, Because if you say it sort of throughout, throughout, then maybe you'll get out sooner and maybe you're not ready to, to escape yet or you don't know how or whatever. I sense there's so many people in that scenario, especially women, I suspect, that are in, in relationships or situations where it's almost become like an addiction or the attraction and the allure but then it's like so bad and it's like back and totally forth. yeah because there's a part of it that's very sexy and exciting and then there's a part of it that you literally just don't know what to do like there were several times where I tried to get myself out of it but particularly in the situation I was in where it was a whole camp like it was a camp of people keeping keeping the lie afloat, mm-hmm. keeping, keeping the whole infrastructure kind of in place. So to be like the one person who steps up and goes like, I don't think I like this anymore. Mm-hmm. didn't even feel like I, I, it did not feel like a possibility to me. And because they were the only people I knew in LA, I couldn't, I just had no vision. And I also just think that's what happens in abusive relationships in the first place that you just sort of get like nothing else exists. I'm like, if it's not them, what do I have? I have nothing I have. And especially when it's then tied into your career and my like uh, ability to even work in the States. Cause they were the names on my, on my petition, like they were my petitioners to stay in the country. So like, it was so, it was so hard for me to see keeping my life there, which I was, which I wanted very badly and had wanted for a long time, keeping my life there and also creating any sort of boundary or making healthier choices for myself or anything. Wow. You know, you recount uh, later on in the book, you're in conversation with Ben. Uh, You like, you revisit each other after like just ironically on the street. And I actually printed this out. I want to read it because it was just a very powerful moment in your book. Oh, I would love it. Um, So just to put this in preface or in, in context, you're, this is somebody you've dated. It's been a long time. He kind of walked out of your life unexpectedly. It was done. And you've run into him on the street and 
there's sort of you're in this place of wow maybe I should just continue this pattern and we should have a hookup is what I kind of got from what I was reading and you say I could see that by him saying no I was freed when I'm not trying to get something from someone when I'm not trying to shape myself into something I think might suit someone I make space to feel everything I've been trying not to feel when I remove motive I make space to be angry and hurt. I make space to miss him. I make space to love him. I make space to forgive him. That was like, oh, and as I was reading it, I just, I was thinking about forgiveness too. And I'm just curious what forgiveness means to you. Oh, and I mean, forgiveness, I feel like I have almost two, I've, I've discussed forgiveness with a couple close friends many times because it's it's I feel like I sort of lead with forgiveness like mm. people cannot ask me for forgiveness or apologize even and it's just I am I here it is you got it from me like I don't hold like none of the men in that book I have no hard feelings for any of them mm. like I I care for them all I am grateful to them all and I definitely forgive them all, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But many of them have never asked me for forgiveness. And I had one very good com- or a conversation with a close friend of mine at one point who said, who said like, there has to be a point where if somebody's really hurt you, that they ask you for that, for that like redemption, for that you come in and you say like, you acknowledge the thing you did, like in a sort of, in a sort of churchy way, mm-hmm. like kind of going to, going to uh um you know you sin in the thing you say your sins what are the what is it confession confession Confession. i acknowledge that the thing i did was was this i acknowledge that this happened and i'm sorry and can i you know i would like your forgiveness and i think i think perhaps a few times in my life i haven't waited for that moment because i don't like holding i don't like holding that so i just lead with sort of forgiveness first which i do think is very valuable and I'm happy to have that skill. Um, and I'm happy to not carry, carry stuff around with me, but also I think it's important to, to, and I think especially with him, because he did, he went like all of that happened. I really hurt you. He was like, I really, and I think that's maybe why I'm the closest of all the men in the book. We are the closest friends. Like he and I are are very, very good friends. And I think it's because he was able to go that was bad. Like that was a bad time. Mm-hmm. This really happened. I really hurt you. And, and I acknowledge that. And mm. I didn't even realize I needed that because I never ask anybody for it. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. I, I It's fine. I forgive you. Right. Wow. That's really profound what you're saying. And it's such a practice to move yeah. into the humbleness to, to forgive and to be forgiven too, to allow mm-hmm. ourselves to be like both, both sides of the fence. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. One one final thing, Enzo, your uncle Enzo. <laughs> wow, what a character! Um, there was just something that you said in in the chapter about him that just really uh, landed for me. You said, um, "I have to lose you to love me. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to lose you to love me." Can you just share a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is s- sort of connected to the this idea that when you remove motive, you can be you can be sort of fully yourself. And I think in, in wanting to keep him and not just, not just him, but many of the men in my life, I've had to sort of, I've had to sort of, um, yeah, sort of shift myself into a different thing because I know what you're capable of. So I'm like, I know that he can't handle more than this. I know that I need to be this free or expectationless or whatever in order to keep you around. But in doing that, I am quite actively not loving huge, you know, portions of myself because I don't think a person can handle it or take it. And rather than going like, okay, well, then I'm going to take all my stuff somewhere else where somebody is capable of making space for it. Instead of that, I'm just going to like tuck that away and be here for you. So I think there is there is a part of that where until you kind of go like, okay, I love you and I can't keep you. Like realizing that those two things can coexist was, I think, also a big sort of realization in the last couple of years that I can go like, I love you. Goodbye. Like, I don't I can't I I can't keep you, though. I love you still, you know, and I think that's where that 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 line is from. Yeah. Wow. 
There is so much. I, I could spend a whole day retreat with you, Haley, just listening to all that you let's have to it. share. It's, let's do it. It's amazing. <laughs> I, uh, but I want to honor time too here. And I, I just have to say as, as we're coming to the end of this, this chat, just how much I, I do love you. And I mean, just knowing you for so long, you've just really touched my heart with this book that you've created as well. And Thank you. Uh, yeah. And I, I just want you to also know too, just, I really want you to know just how lovable and amazing you are. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. This was, I would say, a really wonderful first ever podcast experience. I'm hooked. This, I want to do the right thing. This is amazing. I love the fact that this is your first podcast. I'm I'm like honored that you're here. It's just amazing. Yeah. My first, second interview of the whole thing. First podcast. I'm thrilled. I'm hooked. Sign me up for all of them. Oh, I'm going to subscribe to every podcast you're on now. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, thank you for being here, Haley. I so appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, Keith. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I hope that it's inspired you as much as it has me. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember to subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast channel. And I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.